and nothing was really happening. But then I like um, broke in a new way and I realized that I had to stop praying, God get me through this as quickly as possible. I had to start praying, God, as long as it will take, I will sit in this pain, I will face the storm, no matter how long it takes, I just want genuine healing. And I found that when my prayers changed from like a me-focused prayer of like, just get me through this, to like, God, I just want you and I just want your healing, that's when the healing really started taking place in my life. Often our worst shame comes from what grows out of the wounds in our past. We try to cut down every bad habit or embarrassing addiction that sprouts, but until we dig up the root, the damage will never completely heal. Today's guest, Brittany Rust, talks about how God helped her uproot and heal from a history of abuse, sexual sin, and depression. If you or someone you love is wrestling with depression or hopelessness, check out David Wilkerson's book, Have You Felt Like Giving Up Lately?, it's available now as a free online audiobook on our website, worldchallenge.org. Your support makes a difference. Please consider donating to power the mission and make World Challenge resources like our audiobooks and this podcast possible. Now, here's our host, Gary Wilkerson. Hello again. Welcome to the uh, Gary Wilkerson podcast uh, here at World Challenge. I'm here with uh, somebody I'm going to introduce in just a moment, and also I'm here with somebody you've met before. If you watch the podcast, I am here with the the very lovely, very wonderful, the very patient. She's been married to me for over 40 years, so patience is one of her uh, key virtues. She's definitely learned to be be patient. Uh, and uh, yeah, Kel, thanks for Yeah, no, thank us. you for having me. How are you this doing? Awesome. I'm doing good. Uh, Brittany, we're so happy to have you here with us today. Yeah. Brittany Rust, we're, we're thrilled. We've gotten to know you a little bit, uh, being that you have joined the World Challenge ministry team. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so grateful. We're looking forward to hearing your story. Uh, you're also an author. This is uh, one of your, you've written two books. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Untouchable. And, um, and you've written another book. What's the other title? It's called Here I Am, here Responding I am. When God Calls Your Name. Okay, so mm-hmm. uh, writing has always been sort of a interest of yours did you start when yeah. you were a little, little girl young or well you know or I didn't young. start until after high school I just started blogging on my own like one of those blog spot websites and I don't mm-hmm. think anybody read it I don't even think my <laughs> mom read it <laughs> but one day my pastor's wife my mentor read something I had written and she said you should do this you're really good at that and that was the first time somebody had told me that something I was passionate about I could maybe even do and so just started writing and investing and God just started opening the doors from there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So, uh, so you write books. Um, <laughs> you work for full-time for a Christian ministry. Mm-hmm. You're happily married. Your husband's mm-hmm. name is Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. And you have a little boy named Roman, right? How, how old is Roman? Yeah, he is two and he is feisty. So if anybody yeah. has tips on what to do in a temper tantrum, send them my way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so your life sounds perfect. I mean, oh. um, you know, a lot of great Great things happening. Was it always perfect, or did it, did you kind of come through some some rougher stuff when you were younger? Yeah, so um, came through some rougher stuff when okay. I was younger. I'm a part of a large family, um, just your pretty average upbringing in the Midwest. I had three younger brothers, but um, didn't grow up in a Christian home. And so um, didn't know anything about God or Jesus. But in exchange for that, there was a lot of anger, just a lot of tension. In your home in or our in home. you? Okay, in your yeah, home. In yeah, in our home. And um, I was sexually abused at a very young age. 
And so while... Do you while remember how old you were? Or? I was about three or four. Oh, wow. So mm-hmm. really just, just barely being mm-hmm. beyond a baby. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't remember much about it. Yeah. Um, there's just a, a memory that I have. So um, while for a lot of people that might cause them to flee from anything sexual, for me it did the opposite. And so from um, a very young age I was mas- masturbating. Um, and within junior high, I was addicted to pornography. Um, and so just already had at such a young age, this, this heaviness, this weight of shame and, um, just bondage. And, uh, there was a lot of manifestation of anger as a result, having grown up in a, in a home with anger, that was sort of the response I adopted Mm -hmm. to my situation and my surroundings. So, um, by the time I was 16, I was addicted um, to pornography and masturbation. Mm-hmm. I was depressed, and I was put on medication for depression and an ulcer. I was just overwhelmed and so hopeless, yeah. so hopeless. But I, I knew I was there has to be something more in life than this. This, this just can't be it. Yeah. And when I was 16, I found that hope that I was always looking for in Jesus. Yeah. Wow, mm-hmm. that's incredible. That's <clears throat> the time you started looking at pornography mm-hmm. was, how old were you then? I was in junior high. I Jun- found, oh, so, junior high. Okay. Um, so 12, 13, something like that? Yeah, I think it was about yeah. 13 years <clears throat> old and I found um, a stash yeah. of pornography and um, just couldn't stop honestly looking after that point. Um, mm-hmm. Have have you, um, being that you, you were personally involved in this before you met Christ, mm-hmm. did, did have you um, like studied this? Is this like you know? Because I guess the, the the question a lot of people might ask is like you know you think of pornography more of, as a uh, issue with men. Mm-hmm. Um, have you um, have you heard a lot of other women saying like thank you for sharing your story because. Uh, you know, as a woman, I'm involved in pornography as well. Is that is that common? I guess you hear what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm asking, is it is it in your experience? Is it common to find uh, many women uh, addicted to pornography? Not at first. You know, oh. when I was struggling with through with it, um, I thought this. You know, I was told this is a man's problem, right. and women don't struggle with this. So I didn't tell anybody about it. I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody about it. Mm-hmm. That anyone would understand me, mm-hmm. and so I kept it to myself. And um, the Lord delivered me, thank goodness, um, from that. But for years, I still didn't even feel like I could talk about it. I was so ashamed because I shouldn't have had that problem. And so I didn't even, I didn't tell anybody until my husband, when Mm. I got married. And it wasn't until I wrote Untouchable and I sat down to write the first chapter and I felt like God told me, I want you to tell the world, I want you to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And literally with tears streaming down my face for the first time I communicated, Mm. I had an addiction to pornography and masturbation. And it was like this weight, it was like that final weight came Mm -hmm. off of me. And no joke, the next day, someone I barely knew, but someone I had met a couple times, a, a female, messaged me on Facebook the next day and she said God has seen how hard it was for you to share that but he wants you to know that he's going to use your freedom from pornography and masturbation to help women mm-hmm. and I mm. was just like oh my word <laughs> wow. she had no idea yeah, Redemption. Um, yeah. and so yeah. honestly it wasn't until you know that book came out a year ago that people have started hearing my me talk about it and I'm starting to talk more and more about it because I'm mm-hmm. seeing that more and more women are wrestling with this in silence mm-hmm. um, because they don't feel 
like they have anybody to talk to about. Certainly within the church, we haven't been great about talking about yeah. it. Yeah. And so I'm having women starting to reach out to me um, as I'm writing articles about it and on my blog and talking about it. Um, women are starting to re- reach out more and more about yeah. it. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty rare for there to be an <clears throat> open, honest conversation about it, even with men in the church. I would think even more difficult mm. uh, for women because you know that 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 sense of it's oh, it's a man's problem, like you said. Yeah. Um, so I'm so glad you're doing that for for women to be able to. Uh, I think that yeah. we, I think we need forerunners of somebody who openly and honestly can talk about tough issues. And mm-hmm. here on this podcast, we've had uh, Nate Larkin mm-hmm. has come, and we've done a couple episodes with him. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's his he's talking more about men. And then I had another. Uh, episode we did on, on pornography as well mm-hmm. but it's about men so this is really interesting to have from a woman's perspective uh, Kelly being a woman any th- questions come to your mind for Brittany about uh, that, that or yeah I was just I'm I'm thinking that women we we can tend to be really hard on ourselves and um, isolate ourselves mm-hmm. just because women are so hard on women mm-hmm. and um, to have the the wherewithal and the courage and to take that authentic step to say hey you know this this is a place where I've struggled and this is a place where I've suffered and this is a place that Jesus has redeemed that that is amazing and um, I'm I'm thankful that you're giving voice to it. And so, you know, to, to make a connection to women so that they can be healed. Mm-hmm. And um, your love for women mm-hmm. is uh, very evident and very genuine. And I just so appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like um, for me, I, I, it was a lot of grace that the Lord, because I didn't have anybody to talk to about it, or I didn't feel like I had. I feel like the Lord was really gracious to deliver me from that stronghold when Did I became a Christian. Right, right away. So when you became a Christian, you no, it wasn't okay. right away. Honestly, okay. it right. took about right. two years. Yeah. Um, it was just me um, starting to get Scripture inside of me. And all this time for those two years, you never, uh, you still had not talked to anybody. It was not until after you got married and started mm-hmm. writing the book. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's, and would you say that's normal or rare that somebody fights this battle alone? I think it's very normal okay. to fight it to fight pornography um, alone again because there's this stigma that we shouldn't be wrestling with it or it feels dirty, right? And so um, we want to portray this purity about us. But um, I, for me, I'm finding that freedom from real, really any addiction is being able to talk about it, finding mm-hmm. accountability. Um, and so I strongly encourage when I meet with a woman who's struggling with whether it's pornography or, or anything, find someone to talk about. That's what I do. If I find myself wrestling with a situation or a temptation or just something, a stronghold, the first thing I will do is find a trusted girlfriend mm-hmm. that I can talk to about it. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's really a, a beautiful gateway, but I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was just getting scripture in me. I didn't know mm-hmm. God and you know until I was 16 so yeah. just memorizing scripture about um just purity and mm-hmm. um sexual morality and and God used his word to pull that out of me mm-hmm. I guess it's like in forming questions you know thinking about your extraordinary story and how much 
not only do you love women, but you want them to be free, mm-hmm. but just kind of a, like, what would you say should be the first step? Is it that connection with a friend or is it, you know, getting the scripture inside of you or mm-hmm. a combination of both or how, I mean, I'm sure everyone's journey is different mm-hmm. and God is taking steps and leading them. Yeah. He leads all of us, but I'm just saying, you know, what would you say could be the first step that if someone is struggling with pornography, a woman that's struggling with pornography, mm-hmm. you know, like what what would you suggest would be the first thing that they should do? Well, I think repentance mm-hmm. is the first step, right? Um, a repentant heart is so important to the life of a believer. And so first, you know, bring that to the Lord. And um, because God wants to carry that with you, sometimes we feel like in those dirty things, maybe I need to clean myself up before I come to God, but really bring it to God and repent before him and say, God, I don't want this anymore. Help me, like free me. And you may make mistakes, you know, down the road, but keep going back in repentance to the Father. And then the other two steps would be get scripture in you, right? Because we fight temptation with the word of God. Jesus did it in the desert, right? He fought with the word of God. So get scripture in you. And then, you know, third is find that accountability. Find someone to talk to about it. Um, You know, when you're able to have someone that you know loves the Lord call you out on that kind of stuff or ask you about those Mm -hmm. things, you just have that sort of support system, that person in your corner practically to help you walk that Mm -hmm. journey. Yeah, that's powerful. That, yeah. The um, I think I'm agreeing with you 100%. Repentance that's biblical, mm-hmm. that's godly. My personal struggle with that only comes, it's truth, and I'm not denying it. But my own personal experience as a young man um, getting addicted to pornography was I, w- I would look at pornography and then I would go into this yeah. more. Oh, I'm a terrible person. I hate mm-hmm. myself. I'll never do it again. And it was like, I don't know if it was repentance or just more like feeling like self-loathing or something like that. Um, yeah. So so for me, I, I think I saw two things that, that I needed. One was the repentance, and the other was to realize I was wounded as well. Mm-hmm. Not to excuse that, but it's almost like somebody who goes, you know, is trying to go on a diet, and they keep opening the refrigerator and eating more and more. Yeah. It's like that's a sin to be gluttonous, and they need mm-hmm. to repent of that sin. But also there's there's a wound inside of them. And so mm-hmm. I, I think there's this, there, there, you know, and, and for some, it's all about healing of the wounds and like, oh, you're a victim, poor, yeah. poor person, mm-hmm. and that's not sufficient. And for others, it's all just repent of your sin, and that's not sufficient either. I think that, the, you know, because mm-hmm. Jesus, uh, by his stripes, we are healed, and he, t- he took all of our sin on the, you know, Isaiah 53 yeah. speaks very clearly about the woundedness mm-hmm. of our souls and our, mm-hmm. and our minds and our bodies and our history. And then it speaks of him taking that wo- wounds upon himself and our sin, our transgressions upon himself too. And so mm-hmm. I, um, did you see in your life uh, both, would you say you saw, um, you know, a need for repentance, but also a need for healing? Certainly. And but honestly, that didn't come till a couple years later, as I talk about in my book, is I had a moral failure at 25. So even though the porn and the masturbation had, you know, disappeared from my life, I still hadn't fully dealt with the root of the sexual addiction that I had been, you know, locked into for so long. I thought I was free because the manifestations were gone. But then I was put into a new situation, you know, where I started dating somebody. I was in leadership and ministry at a church at 25. You weren't, you weren't married? No. Okay. No, I was not married. I was dating um, a guy, and um, I, we ended up having sex outside of marriage. And so I had never really dealt with that root mm-hmm. 
right? I still had that wound that I had just been sort of covering up. I thought I was okay. And in reality, it manifested again a couple years later, and then I had to go and I had to deal with the root of it then. Mm. Can you explain a little bit about dealing with the root of it? What does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, mine was um, a long journey to sort of work through that because um, when I had sex outside of marriage, being a leader in ministry, I had to step out of ministry. I confessed to my pastors and knowing full well, I'd lose my job. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. I had to step out of ministry. There was trust hurt with my mentor and with friends through that process. The guy and I broke up. I just, I literally hit rock bottom. And it took me a while to sort of, want to accept the grace and the healing, you know, to move on. I kind of just sat there for a while in the, like, I know God can forgive me, but why would he want to? I mean, he had already redeemed my life and given me um, this incredible ministry and blessed me. And then I had ruined it. Like, Mm -hmm. look what I had done with it. Mm -hmm. And so even though I knew God could forgive me and would want to, I almost sort of didn't want it at first because I didn't think I deserved it. And so it took me a while to sort of, you know, there were some bumps along the way. Um, But God started, you know, working that healing in my heart when I was in, then finally I was like, I like, Lord, I just, I do, I want your healing. I want your healing. And what I found was, you know, at first I just wanted to get through the situation as quickly as possible. I was like, God, please make all this go away. Just get me through it as fast as possible. Mm. And nothing was really happening. But then I like um, broke in a new way. And I realized that I had to stop praying, God, get me through this as quickly as possible. I had to start praying, God, as long as it will take. Mm. I will sit in this pain. I will face the storm. No matter how long it takes, I just want genuine healing. Mm. And I found that when my prayers changed from like a me-focused prayer of like, just get me through this to like, God, I just want you and I just want your healing. Mm -hmm. That's when the healing really started taking place in my life. And that redemption process started. And for me, it was just sitting with Jesus um, and getting his word in me and being surrounded in community and just um, really being like, I'm not going to run away from this the, the past anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to run away from the bad decisions that I've made anymore. I'm going to face it all head on so that I can work through it. And mm-hmm. I think that's an important element to healing is being willing to face it and work through it. Yeah. So yeah. Brittany, mm-hmm. are you saying, so, excuse me, Gary, mm-hmm. um, are you saying that you were having a hard time forgiving yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because again, I didn't feel like I deserved it. You know, um, I knew again, I knew God was good and gracious, but I was withholding like it for myself because I just didn't think I deserved it. I was so ashamed and so felt so guilty um, that I just sort of put it aside for a while, and then. Um, I just God kept leaning in and pressing in saying, I have this grace for you. Like, mm-hmm. I love you. Like, this isn't the end of your story. This is just a chapter in your story. But mm-hmm. there's so much more I want to do in you and through you. And so, um, yeah, I sort of had to let my guard down. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you changed from kind of a me-centered mm-hmm. um, and your, your prayer became, you know, you know, almost like for your glory, Lord, mm-hmm. do, do this. And I, I think that goes back to a little bit what I was saying about the difference between repentance and, and, and woundedness is, you know, we, you know, some some of our repentance. You know, if if you look at pornography again or masturbation and get involved in sexual immorality, 
the, the repentance is not real repentance. It's almost like, I'm sorry I got caught, or I'm mm-hmm. sorry that I, I thought I was stronger than this. You know, it's a very self, self-focused um, thing. And so you came out of that. That's, that, that was part of your, that, that, that really brought more transition. When, when you do something for the glory of God, there's a greater power because he's, he's all about that. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's, he really wants you to be free for his name's sake as much as for your own sake. You know, he loves us and wants us to be free, but he's, right. he's doing that. So you're, you're uh, so you're 26 or seven now mm-hmm. after this. Uh, you've been out of it for about a year. You're seeing some healing and recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's happening then? Because obviously something happened to kind of restore you to, you know, you started writing. You got to, uh, was it just a... Can you t- explain a little bit about that? Yeah. So after the moral failure, my boyfriend and I broke up. <clears throat> but within a couple of months, we got right back together. And I wish I could say that we didn't have sex again, but we did it again. And I just, we were in something really toxic at that point. Um, and so we broke up again, but this time it was for good. Like we thought we're never getting back together. And that's when I really got because I loved this person. And so I really went through a season of just sadness and mourning. And that's where I was praying God get me through this. And I wasn't seeing the progress I thought I should see, right? The right. relief of pain that I thought I should see. And so after a couple months, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try the world's way of healing, right? And so um, I still loved God. But I thought, man, I just need some relief. And so I started dating guys I knew weren't believers. Um, I got drunk one night and even contemplated suicide. Mm. And I did that for about a month. And I was just so, again, broken. And I knew those things wouldn't bring the healing I was looking for. But I was just so lost in the sadness. Mm. And I allowed the enemy to tell me there's other ways to deal with the pain. Mm -hmm. And so I tried that for about a month. And I just... It wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And I, that's when I say I broke again. But that was like the right kind of breaking. Like mm-hmm. I needed to really break. And it was at that point where I thought, no, I'm fully committing this to you, Jesus, this process. I've been trying to do it my own way. It hasn't worked, obviously. I'm going to recommit the process to you. And that's when I started leaning into it. And that's when I started finding the healing mm-hmm. that I was seeking. Powerful. When you were... Uh, so the, from the time, so you, you met, got back with this guy mm-hmm. and had sex again, uh, then started dating other guys in, in a, not in a healthy way. Do you think, was, was there, I don't know if you remember that, what was going on in your heart at that time, but was there, would you say any anger at God for like, because you probably had asked him, like, set me free from this. I don't want to mm-hmm. do this. And it didn't seem to be happening. Was is that there? And, and, you know, maybe a lot of people it doesn't happen that way, but I'm just curious. Do you remember any anger at God in that time? Yeah, during the, after the second breakup where I, so I was like worshiping and praying and I was doing all the right things and I wasn't seeing the relief. Yeah, I got angry. I remember one time I um, was just, I was cleaning on a Saturday afternoon and I was just so, I was hurting so bad. And I just remembered falling to my knees and like literally curling up in a ball and just like crying and just, and then I started verbally crying out like god where are you mm-hmm. like where are you i keep seeking you i keep praying i keep worshiping where and so yeah there was some anger associated with that and i think it was that anger that sort of separated me to go try the world's way for a mm-hmm. little bit um i think it's I, a i think it's a weapon of the enemy is when when we're dabbling in sin uh, to try everything he has in his arsenal to keep us from being free from sin mm-hmm. so that we begin to be i can think ultimately um, Satan is after not just our failure, but us 
to get us to believe God's a failure or yeah. he, that he, he mm-hmm. doesn't have power or he's not going to come through or he doesn't love us or care for us. Exactly. Because that usually then leads us towards like what you went through. You, you go to in a, almost more rebellion and more, okay, God, if you're going to be, if you're going to treat me like this, then I might as well just go out and live like the world. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of people do that. Yeah. Uh, Brittany, can you describe like what was going on? Obviously, what I hear it sounding like it was a heart issue mm-hmm. because you were you're reading scripture, you were worshiping, you were praying, but you didn't have that breakthrough that you so desperately were Mm -hmm. seeking. And so it's like, what was, you know, like that, that shift that you had, like there was like something that brought a true connection to God. And so can you tell us about that? Yeah, it goes back to just I, when I looked back, my prayers were, God, get me through this as fast as possible. Take okay. away the pain. It was all about bypassing proper healing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I truly broke and then my prayer shifted to, God, however long it takes, whatever I need to face, I just want the healing. I want you. I want you in this. I actually heard, read a story during that, um, not long after I sort of shift my focus about bison. And bison are the only animals that will actually, when the storm is coming, they will actually turn and they will face the storm and they will go through it. Mm. Whereas most animals <laughs> will run from it. Right. But by turning and facing it and going through it, they're actually in the storm, um, you know, um, less, you know, mm-hmm. than maybe the animals running from it. And so for mm-hmm. me, I was like, no, I need to turn and I need to face the storm and I need to walk through it in order to get to the other side. And so that shift was taking the focus off of me and putting it on just whatever you have, God, whatever this looks like, whatever you envision, that's what I want. And that was the shift. So it was a surrender of yourself. Yeah. And uh, uh, saying no to pride, like mm-hmm. to I can fix this or, you know, yeah. God, God is here to help me get out instead of here to take me through. Yeah, and I think for me, um, a big part of what I have to wrestle with is control. Mm. And I found through life, like when I get angry, it's because I feel like I'm out of control. But in that process, I was trying to control my healing Mm. and I wasn't seeing the results that I wanted, right? And so I think part of that was, it was me showing the Lord that I was releasing control to him, to what his vision of the healing looked like. I was letting go of it and putting him truly in Mm. control of the process. Right. Mm. Surrender is really hard. It is, but it's so good when it's you're so there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the only way to live. Yeah. The, um, I was going to just step back a little bit because you were talking about, you know, when you were 25, you, um, had, you know, sleeping with somebody and then repeating it and, and then others. That's, that's um, again, because now you're ministering to others who are mm-hmm. facing those same storms. Yeah. Um, do you find that the... Um, it seems like there's two types of churches. This can be a long question, but I want you to answer it. Um, there's two types of churches. One, they kind of just berate and beat and, you know, like sinners and, mm-hmm. you know, don't look at a guy or don't look at, you know, and that kind of makes everybody feel shame and guilt. And then the other kind of seems to be like excusing it, like, mm-hmm. oh, we don't really want to talk about sexual morality. And it seems like there's a lot of churches, I don't know a lot, but there's some that, and I don't want to be judgmental here, but it seems like they preach about how to become successful and how to be happy and yeah. how to find a mate. And I'm just wondering, like, in both those churches, it seems like because one's driving them away mm-hmm. from guilt 
and the other is kind of excusing it. Yeah. I guess, and then here's my question is, uh, in your ministry, because you're writing about this and blogging about this, are you finding a lot of young people that are, are Christians, they're, they're trying to live a good Christian life, but they're sleeping around, and it's kind of normal and common that, that having sex outside of marriage is, is that, would you say, is, is happening a lot in the church? Is it prevalent, or is it, is it an anomaly? Just occasionally you meet somebody that's, that's facing this problem. So for me, when it happened, I thought like, oh, I'm the only Christian who's ever done this. Mm. But after that, God just started bringing people. And I and I met so many people, people I knew that I never had guessed it had struggled with that as well. They had slept with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And the more, the, the more longer I'm in ministry, the more I see it. And the more I work with younger people, the more I see it, that it's, it's a real problem. And you're right, we don't really talk about it, I think, as openly as we should. We shouldn't be you know, you know, casting down judgment and this fire and brimstone about it, um, because that's, again, going to push people away. But we do need to have honest conversations about it. So like, um, I'm very open about talking about masturbation. That's Mm -hmm. not what God has planned for you. I'll bring up the tough topics, but also just doing that in grace, right? Because, um, I'm so grateful that when I had my moral failure, my church, they um, did not brush it under the rug. They said, this is a sin and you're going to have to step out of ministry. They were very clear about that, mm-hmm. but they were did it in such love and grace that they walked through the healing with me. I continued to go to that church. So there's definitely Good. a balance of that. But yeah, I think we're seeing a real wrestle with this, mm-hmm. you know, of young people, especially as generally we're waiting until we're older, till we're getting married, right? And so yeah. we're testing the waters and we're kind of living life inappropriately in the meantime. And we have to like, I don't think people realize until they get older what damage that causes to them, just emotionally, um, spiritually, mentally. I mean, you will bring that into your marriage, whether you think you will or not. There will be pieces of that that you bring into your marriage. And um, yeah. We have to yeah. talk about mm-hmm. it openly, but it can also be done in a very gracious way. Yeah, right. yeah it's. I, I, I'm a connoisseur of uh, sermons. I, I've, uh, I've been preaching since I was 16, and I love, love studying. I love studying the Word and preparing sermons and being around my brothers and sisters in Christ who preach the Word. And then, um, but I also listen to people online, and I'm listening to a lot of young, really good pastor and teacher. But they don't seem to be. Uh, they're they're very motivational and positive thinking. Uh, and, and I'm just concerned for this generation that they're, they're just not hearing, like, you know, there's some things that God just says, you know, just don't do that and I'll help you and I'll be with you. Uh, so you're feeling that same way, are you? Oh, certainly. There's um, a, a Christian influencer I've been following on Instagram, very well known. <clears throat> you would know their name. And she recently promoted a book written by um, a Christian, but the book talks about sex and very openly about how sex with outside of marriage is okay in these different elements and so um for me just to even see that where she was recommending this book i'm thinking my heart literally hurt in that moment thinking this is what we're serving people like this is what we're offering to people as a biblical way of dating and and i was just like in all that this was even acceptable yeah, the, advocating. advocating to read this book, mm-hmm. and the book was saying yeah. it's okay to yeah. have uh, sex outside of marriage, 
and that the, the author was saying she's that, someone in ministry saying that she's a Christian as well so divorced and she okay. was very open about having sexual relations with her boyfriend and I it was okay she, yeah wow. and so for me I, but that's just one instance where yeah. I've seen that in some form, especially through social media being as popular as it is now. And there's sort of this, you know, God will forgive us no matter what. And so people just like, well, I make bad decisions, but Jesus will forgive me. And it's like, yeah, he will. But that doesn't mean that it's okay. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And so uh, we're seeing that more and more in our culture. And honestly, it, it really makes me nervous for the net, you know, the next my generation and the yeah. generation coming up behind us. Yeah, yeah, that that I, I think from from being like your parents or maybe your grandparents' age, uh, you know, we look at your generation and with with um, great hope and expectation mm-hmm. of amazing things, but also that that concern of um, and, and please don't, I hope I'm not getting too critical here, but there's this. Uh, church is, is a cool place and uh, hipster pastors lead us and and they talk about these cool issues of life and we can all be cool but but not dealing with sin right, right. Uh, we leave know. church motivated like there's these great mm. motivational talks in the church today right. and we leave you know yes and god's got a plan for my life but we don't really go much deeper than that and we really need to be talking about yeah. the wrestles that we have and that we shouldn't be getting as close to sin as right. you know but yeah yeah mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of sin, then, all right, so I think all of us at this table would certainly clearly, uh, and most of us, people listening would say, yeah, we know, uh, even though it's difficult at times, you know, not to disobey God, we know uh, having uh, sex outside of marriage is sin. Mm-hmm. But you're talking here today about masturbation as well. And I, mm-hmm. I think there's a, le- a lesser clarity on mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah, can you give us your biblical view and your personal view on masturbation as a sin uh, do you see it as a sin and always a sin is there ever a time where it's not sin yeah i mean this is a delicate question mm-hmm. i i will say i think in most cases it is because if we're honest people who have masturbated you you can't arouse yourself without a without an image right, right? there's generally an image associated with that act and so for me so for I say the definition of le- definition of lust is when you take God and respect for others out of the equation. Mm-hmm. And right, so when you're picturing this sexual image of somebody, you're taking God and you're taking respect for that person out of the equation. And so that is lust. And the Bible's very clear that, you know, lust is a sin and we should stay away from lust. And mm-hmm. so my general um, biggest feedback towards that is, well, you likely won't be arousing yourself right. um, in that act without a visual image of somebody. Yeah. And and you might say, okay, well, I'm married and I'm, you know, it's my husband or my wife. And I think in those cases, you might have like a little bit of like gray area, but that's very rare where right. um, that's the case. And so that would be my first piece of advice is mm-hmm. that that's a lust issue yeah. at its heart. But then there's also verses like your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Like God resides in you and you're to honor that. And, you know, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So there's also these, does it say very clear in the Bible, do not masturbate? No. But uh, there are these verses that um, lend to it not being God's design for your life mm-hmm. and God's best for your life. Yeah. Right? yeah. You know, so I think it's interesting how <clears throat> science usually catches up with the Bible and, and there's starting to be some articles written now uh, from non-Christians' point of view about masturbation. And they're saying, uh, particularly in a, in a marriage, how that, you know, if, if one of the partners is engaging in 
masturbation, it, it, um, they've studied it and they found it affects the sex life of the couple. I think so, so, so they, they say like, oh, yeah, I mean, if somebody's, you know, imagining somebody else and they've done something, they've masturbated and then they come into the, you know, the time for, you know, uh, the wife asks for like, hey, you know, uh, this is a great time for us to be together right now. And, and the husband's, uh, you know, he won't, he may not say anything, but he's like, yeah, I don't need to because, you know, just something just happened. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that it, it um, mm-hmm. radically diminishes the, 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 the purity and intimacy of yeah. a marriage relationship in that. And, and then I, I, just to, to speak of to your issue too about the, the lust, the mm-hmm. imagination, I, I, I can't speak for women, but for men, that's the only way to, you you you, 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 you know, just you know we're very visual and so mm-hmm. you know it's sort of that's about the only way to go down that route so for women too yeah. i mean Is, even I with know, yeah, like right. you know we may not be as some women are very physical you know but there even if it may not be that you're reading books like 50 shades of gray and there might be an emotional arousal there mm-hmm. is still something there yeah. that you are envisioning or you're playing in your mind to get to that arousal yeah so if somebody's listening to us today and they say, oh, well, I knew, you know, sleeping around was sinful and, I, you know, I've really tried to avoid that. But now, now you're really kind of narrowing my, you know, sexual life. Uh, that, what would you say to them? Is there a, a way to, you know, like how, how would you stop that if you were like uh, habitually uh, lusting and, and, and going down that route? Is I know you've kind yeah. of addressed that a little bit about getting honest and things like that, but uh, is there... So, so you would encourage them to say, okay, I, this is something I, to deal with, right? Yeah. It's not something I mean, to even before I was a believer, I knew that I was engaging something that made me feel shameful mm-hmm. and dirty. Like, not even as a believer, there was just something that didn't feel right about it. But then certainly as a Christian, um, you know, it's hard to tell people not to do something that they really want to do. Yeah. They kind of put on their earmuffs and they don't <laughs> want to hear you like, oh, no, I'm just going to keep masturbating. It's not a big deal. But here's the thing is that's, again, not God's best for you. And it's not like it's just another rule to limit you. Really, God's um, design is so that we live in freedom from the temptation and the yeah. sin. And so as far as you can get away from that sin boundary, the more just at peace you're going to be, the more freedom you will find. And so um, for that person that's saying, well, I'm doing it, I kind of don't want to stop. I just want to be like, but like, don't you want God's best for your life? You know? And do you think that that includes that? Yeah, you can keep doing that. And yes, God loves you. But like, Mm -hmm. if you really want God's best for your life, like you're going to have to give up things that just play with temptation and yeah. boundaries and sin. Yeah, yeah, you got to you got to uh, stop before it gets started. You know, I always before, tell, yeah. especially young people, I'm like, just stay. It's not about getting as close as you can to the sin boundary. Uh, it's stay as far away mm-hmm. as you can from it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That way, you're not even like tempted yeah. to go in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. I think somebody who's um, dealing with a, either addiction or a habitual practice of pornography, um, masturbation, sleeping around before marriage, <clears throat> uh, and particularly, you know, 
you know, because, like we said, we kind of know clearly that this one is a sin and we're less clear about this other mm-hmm. one. So it's easier to, as a Christian, I think, to kind of go that route. I'm going to relieve mm-hmm. some of my sexual tension by masturbation and pornography and and not seeing that as a sin. But, but okay, let's say now they're listening to us today and somebody says, okay, you know, I, I agree, it, it is a sin, but I've been trying for 10 years to stop doing this and, and I can't stop. And I would just say, and, and I want your comments on this too after you hear what I had to say, that sometimes there's a cycle of shame mm-hmm. that, that somebody uh, falls into uh, a, a masturbation or, or pornography. Then they feel so bad about themselves and they repent and they're trying, but, the, but they're just so, there's like more self-hatred comes in mm-hmm. and they're, therefore they're not, um, mm-hmm. so, so it almost causes them to, uh, I feel so bad about myself, I need something to feel good. Yeah. Every addiction, whether it be a, a drug or alcohol or sexual addiction, yeah. uh, comes from a sense of uh, of inside. It's a sin and it's a rebellion against God, but it's also, as I said earlier, this this woundedness mm-hmm. inside of us. And then when we fall into it again, there's more shame, which kind of enhances the cycle. So one of the things I would say is 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 make sure that we don't, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the word freedom. It is, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Mm-hmm. And so he's not just wanting us to stop doing that. He wants us to live victorious he wants us to live life and so you know satan knows that that's going to hinder you from living life so he's going to keep you in shame he's going to keep you in fear like and then get you angry at god because you're never going to get set free and so this um but man i would say you know we need to tell people if this is a a habit that you're not able to break right now don't beat yourself up don't Mm -hmm. live in condemnation and shame and uh, yeah there is guilt because sin has guilt but jesus dealt with our guilt on the cross and so, so see yourself, um, you know, as as someone who Christ has set free, yeah. and claim your inheritance, and begin to begin to believe who you are, rather than believing, you know, what Satan says about you—that you're a failure, that you're no good, you'll never get over yeah. this. That's just going to increase the need for that. So, at the core of it, the answer to me, I think, is is, is it has nothing to do with actually whether it's an alcohol or drug or sexual immorality. It has to do with this issue of of God's love. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the fear of the Lord and, and the love of God, the holiness of God and the love of God, that, that, that these two things are married together, they kiss, and, and when they do, they, they come into our heart and our life, and we, uh, I think that's where real healing comes from, um, that, that it's not just, it's not just tr- trying, like bootstrapping yeah. it, I call it, like you know, digging your heels in, making a promise, Lord, I'll never do that again. That does not work, and in my mm-hmm. experience, it does no. not work, it makes things worse. Yeah. And so for me, I had to come to this point of saying like, okay, when I go to that, you know, I think it was uh, G.K. Chesterton said that every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God, you know, and so looking for love, looking mm-hmm. for life. And yeah. so so to realize that and then say, okay, wait, this it's, there, there's, a, there's a God-given um, emotion in me for intimacy, for affection, mm-hmm. for love. I'm just going to the wrong place for it. And so instead yeah. of instead of saying I'm just going to stop going to that place, mm-hmm. you have to have something stronger, and that's that's where, like, uh, you know the love of God, the, the the power of God, the presence of God, worship, community—all those things you're talking about. So, would you say you experienced not just uh, I'm going to stop doing this, but something stronger replaced it? Yeah, I mean, so I was in that cycle for two years after becoming Christian, where I would resolve not to do it, and mm. then I would do it. I feel guilty, and then I would repent and resolve not to do it again. It was this constant cycle. Um, but I found myself that honestly, the shift took place for me when I did start sort of surrounding myself with community mm-hmm. and, and truly living in God's plan and best for me. Like, um, 
you know, it wasn't about because those two years I was still living at home. And I think there was a lot of just like the pressure of living in that kind of household. Mm-hmm. But when I it was when I sort of got out from underneath the pressure, I was in community with other believers. I was living in the design that God had for us, right, to be in community and to serve him and to just um you know, there's this verse, I and I feel so bad I can't remember what it is, but it's becoming a pure and blameless child of God. I think for it's not about becoming, but we are a child of God now, right? right? And so it's today living as a child of God. And so that means living in the grace and the redemption that has already been won on the cross for you, yeah. you know? And so I think it goes back to you know, not living in the shame, but living in God's plan for you. And so you are a child of God. Yeah. Walk in that. Walk in, Walk it, in yeah. that. Yeah. Just knowing that you are loved and you are redeemed and you are pure and you are blameless. You may not mm-hmm. feel that way, but right. the truth is you are. Yeah. That's how Christ sees you. Yeah. Right? And when you and when you do start believing that, the power of sin, I think, is canceled. There's yeah. that, that's where the that's where the power of sin breaks um, mm-hmm. without knowing who you are in Christ. You, you, there's the confusion of, uh, you know, of, uh, the security is not there. And so you're going to uh, addictions to try to feel better about yourself when you have, you know, Paul telling the, the, the church that you are washed, you are cleansed, you mm-hmm. are justified, you are sanctified, which is a crazy statement. You are sanctified because somebody who's, who's living in a, an addiction to pornography that does not feel very sanctified. Yeah. And there's still, you know, there's obviously... Theologically, we know there's the process of sanctification, mm-hmm. uh, but then there's also that, uh, at, you know, there's the link between justification and sanctified. You are sanctified, and, and, and now you're now you're walking it out. Like yeah. you said, that's that's such a powerful. Yeah, phrase. it's really hard yeah. to get out of the mindset that we have to act a certain way to to live out God's desire for us or to have that favor and that grace, but. We have to get out of that mindset, that works-based mindset, and really just live in the grace of. Um, this is who I am. I am redeemed. I am chosen, you know, and, and choosing to, to live in that as opposed to what the enemy wants for us. And that's to stay locked in our workspace. I'm not good enough mentality. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you may mention that you were living in a place that was pressurized. Mm-hmm. Can you describe that pressure? Like what, what was causing the conflict? Yeah. So, um, so I got saved at 16, and I still lived in my parents' house. That still had the anger. Okay. Um, that it, it, it genuinely felt like this, like heavy blanket that was constantly on me, and I just wanted to like shake it off, but I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was going to that porn and that masturbation. I was, you know, um, I was very much caught up in my mind, living in this fan of, you know, this world of there's got to be something better than this. You know, this can't be it. Um, and it wasn't until I, you know, I gave my heart to Jesus and I felt like that blanket came off of me for the first time. And it was wow. this freedom and this deliverance and this hope that I'd always wanted. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I still had to go back into that home every day for two years, okay. you know, until I moved out. Um, and so there was a certain relief just even getting out of that situation. Um, and I love my parents. They're amazing. And I have so much respect for them. Um, they just had a very difficult childhood, and some of that was projected onto us. Mm-hmm. And then my prayer now is that I don't project that onto my child. It's breaking the generational sin. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but yeah, so it's kind of getting, I, and that's why I would say for people like, um, if you're wrestling with something, well, do you have 
peer pressure, friends that you maybe you shouldn't be hanging out with or situations you shouldn't be in, like get out of those situations that aren't edifying you and building you up, get into community of other believers. And um, you're going to even sense such a difference in just the kind of presence that you're putting yourself into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that community is so such a part of healing, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, one of the statements I say sometimes when I'm teaching is, is that all wounds are relational. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sin that we pursue is relational. You, you know, you take drugs, you, you go to you go to the bar with others, or you know, yeah. even even uh, an image of pornography on a screen is is an attempt at relational. So all yeah. all wounds, all sin is relational, and therefore I believe also all healing is relational. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that we and that's kind of what I was asking you earlier about like well, you, you you would have a, a bizarre story if you got healed all by yourself, you know, right. and, and you know you'd probably be an anomaly uh, because I think God requires. Mm-hmm. I wanted my healing to be, um, you know, I'm going to, um, you know, be in my prayer closet alone, and I'm going to wrestle with God and get rid of this, this sin issue, or mm-hmm. I'm going to go. The, maybe I'll go to the altar at church, you know, when the pastor gives an invitation for prayer, not telling anybody, but just you know, pray for my unspoken prayer request. Uh, but yeah. it wasn't until I actually started talking to some friends and talking to my wife and saying, hey, you know, this is this is a problem I have. Can you pray with me? And then that, that there was something about. You know, the light and the darkness, the shame is broken, the, the, the power of this thing that's hidden in us. The, 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 so, you know, I'm glad you're advocating for community as well as dealing with it personally. You know, both are important. Yeah, I mean, I think it's purely grace that some of those manifestations I found deliverance from mm. just because I didn't. I didn't feel like I had someone to talk to about it, but I still had the root sin of that sexual addiction, right? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I walked through after the moral failure, I was able to walk through that with community that I was able to deal with that root. Mm -hmm. So there was still always the root, but that community and them walking through that healing process with me helped me to sort of you know, pull that root out. Yeah. And that's what you want to get to, the root, because otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, the root, if the root's still there, it's always going to grow back up. Yeah. You know, you can, you can resist it for 5, 10, 15 years, but it'll still be there. And, and Jesus is much more interested in getting to the root, or he calls it the inside of the cup, clean the inside of the cup, and the outside yeah. will become clean. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a powerful, powerful testimony. Mm-hmm. So so this this is the book you wrote, write most about this, because uh, your other book as well, do you, do you touch on that as in your other uh, book or not in my about? second book. Okay, so that yeah. was my first book. It yeah. came out last year and it talks about my moral failure. But the core of it is this what I so after I, you know, had walked through healing, I asked God, like, but where did it all go wrong? Because I loved you, I was in ministry, I was serving you, I was committed to not having sex outside of marriage. Like where did it all go wrong? And that's where he showed me the untouchable myth. And that's what mm. the book is based off of. That I think there's most believers, if they're genuinely honest with themselves, they will say, I will never do that. Like there are certain sins that they say I will never do. Like of course I'll never have sex outside of marriage or of course I'll never have an affair. Of course I'll never steal or murder or whatever. There's just those sins that it seems so obviously wrong to us that we Mm -hmm. assume we'll never do. And I call that our untouchable list. Mm -hmm. And what happens was sex outside of marriage was on my list. Mm -hmm. And so I assumed I'm good. I'm in ministry. I've committed not to do it. But what happened was I wasn't really guarding myself in that area. What happens is if we have sins that we say we will never do, then we actually become vulnerable in those areas because we're not guarding ourselves from those um, areas of sin. And I've known genuinely godly people who, you know, have done things they thought that they would never do. It's why we see pastors in the Mm -hmm. news Mm -hmm. who've fallen into affairs or stealing or alcoholism. They never went into ministry saying, I'm going to do that eventually. It's that they just assume that 
they would never do that and they didn't guard themselves. And so they fell into that sin. And so the book is about shattering that untouchable myth that I believe most believers have. Yeah. We're going to shatter that myth. Wow. And then I give them the tools on how to stand against temptation. Right. And so that's what that book is about. Cool. Yeah. Brittany, do so you, powerful. Yeah. Do you <laughs> see, or can you share with us maybe some, um, guideposts or things, flags, you know, that you, you didn't know at the time. They were just like little subtleties of the enemy drawing you in and drawing you closer to um, a place where that you could fail. Mm-hmm. And um, But you look back on it now and you can see it's yeah. like, oh, that was that was definitely a snare or I should have backed up or so can yeah. you share that with us? Yeah, there's a couple that I talk about in the book. Um, one of them being ex- exhaustion. Okay. You know, I identify that as an area that the enemy can really get in <clears throat> because in our exhaustion. So, you know, I was in ministry and at the time I was doing about 60 hours a week at the church. Mm-hmm. And I think I was just sort of burnt out, but I didn't really quite know it because I still loved what I was doing. But I was burnt out and I was exhausted. And so... Um, for me, I was sort of unguarded because I was so tired. I mean, when we're exhausted, right, we barely have enough strength to just do the things that we know that we need to do in a day, but let alone are we just putting up those boundaries and are Mm -hmm. we being diligent? So one of those is exhaustion. I believe the enemy loves a tired person because he can get into that weariness and he can start putting his foot in and he can start getting us to compromise. Um, That's one. Another is a lack of boundaries. And one of the things that I mentioned in the book to guard against temptation is firm boundaries. Now, Ryan and I, well, so spoiler alert, (laughs) the guy ended up um, years after, like months after healing, we actually did end up getting back together and he's now my husband and God totally redeemed our story. And, um, but we had some loose boundaries, right? Like, oh, we'll never be in the house alone together. Or, you know, the standard sort of Christian, I won't do that. But we didn't really stick to them. We found ways to get around them. And so, you know, for me, looking back, is like I had very loose boundaries. Mm. Um, and so as a believer, you have to have those firm boundaries. And it, it might have to be super, like, um, a tight boundary, but if that's what you need, then do it and yeah. then stick with it. That's the key is that you can say, oh, I, ha- I won't do this. But you have to have firm boundaries and you have to stick to them. Yeah. And that's another thing I look back and I say, oh, technically there was somebody in the house, but we were in the bedroom with the closed door. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was sort of playing in my mind these yeah. like, except, you know, right. well, technically we're not alone. But, you know, yeah. your mind plays that game yeah. when you're tempted. Yeah. So those are a couple good. I look back. That's a good question. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that's, that's a yeah. good place to uh, kind of wrap things up here because uh, <laughs> the, the um, just giving people that practical, you know, not be exhausted. Make sure you set clear boundaries yeah. and, and stay in community and have uh, maybe even a part of community could be having somebody <clears throat> like Paul, Timothy out of Paul. Yep. And you know, of course, yeah. they didn't have cell phones then. But you know, when you're in that situation where your boundaries are being uh, challenged or uh, you know, just that phone call. Okay, I, I have sort of a, I have a mentor in my life, somebody that I can trust. So those, I think those are some really practical areas. Well, well, and um, we, uh, your book. Uh, do you have a way? Does anybody have a way of getting in touch with you? We'd love to. Uh, you have a, like a website or your blog or anything like that? or Yeah, so I have okay. a website. It's okay. www.brittanyrest.com. Okay. And you can find Untouchable and then also my newest book, Here I Am, on the website. And I also have a podcast. I blog there on a regular basis. I um, have a ministry for women um, and moms. So you can yeah. find me there just to connect. 
That's good. Yeah. Thank you so much. I love your honesty, yeah. and I think it's going to help a lot of people, not only here at this podcast, but whenever you're teaching or writing, you keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank blessed. you for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Kel. Our Heavenly Father knows exactly what wounds we have hidden in our hearts. He also knows what the best cure will be for us. We simply have to trust His goodness, offer our hurts to Him, and trust His solution. Only God can bring the true healing and abundant life we're longing for. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, sound design for this episode by Mike Callsmith. This episode was written by Rachel Schmitz. Our producer is Chris Wigington with video production by Aaron Gale. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners with biblical encouragement. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting. We hope you tune in next week to the Gary Wilkerson podcast to receive more encouragement. Until then, do all you can to live a better life and make a better world through Jesus Christ.